Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, welcome back to The Pod Crashed. This week, we're telling the story of United Airlines Flight 232. Thanks for listening. Oh, hello, Mariah. Hi, Casey. I am finally going to do the story that... I it feels so weird to say my favorite story but because that's doesn't seem like the right thing but the story like this is the story that I would like when I would was working you know at the airport I would load the Wikipedia page for this story so Mm. that I could read it obsessively on the plane yeah so yeah interesting okay yeah so we're doing United 232 and uh, we're, we're going back to July 19th, 1989. Um, Brian is a little fetus <laughs> in his mother's womb. Yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that nice to think about? So this is yeah. one that uh, probably a, a lot of people will know, do you think? or? Yeah, we've okay. gotten requests for this one quite a bit. Actually, Sweet Seth requested this one. Oh, got prob- you. Okay. Two years ago, probably. Two yeah. Years, like, eight, who, infin- like infinitely long ago. Yeah. So, um, we're finally, finally doing it. So we're going to fly on this hot July day from Stapleton Airport in Denver. That's the old airport in Denver to Chicago O'Hare, the the big one mm-hmm. in Chicago, and then onward to Philadelphia. And we are flying in a DC-10, which is, uh, that's the plane that we use in our logo. That's it's got the three engines. They're yeah. super like powerful planes. They've got the three engines. And uh we have talked about them before because ugh, they initially had some problems with their cargo door. Right. If you right. We're talking about that. Yeah. But the it's nineteen eighty nine and they've worked out the issues with the cargo door. So it's just a big, beautiful, beautiful plane. Yeah. Uh it is very very full today with 296 souls on board wow 285 passengers okay so it's very 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 full um part of the reason is it's summer but another reason is because it's a children's day promotion that united airlines is running where children can fly for one penny so yeah so there's out of those 285 passengers, 54 of them are children. Uh, some of them are unaccompanied minors, kids play, like traveling by themselves. Mm-hmm. Four of them are lap infants, meaning they don't actually have a seat of their own, but they're seated in the lap of 
the parent that they're traveling with. So, and if you look at the flight map, actually, because I know we would do this when, you know, I was a gate agent, you try, if you can, if you've got room to seat lap infants next to an empty seat because it is actually pretty difficult and uncomfortable to fly with yeah. a baby in your lap for hours. So, but the flight is so full today. You can see that in a couple places they were able to do that, but it's just a full plane with loads and loads of kiddos on it and uh, you know, just doing fun summer trips. Yeah. The captain of our flight today is Alfred just goes by Al. He's 57 and he has worked at United Airlines since 1956. Wow. So long time. 1956. A long time. He got hired by UA and he's stuck with them ever since. Uh, Loads and loads of experience. He's very close to having 30,000 hours of of flight time. I mean, he's very, very, very skilled, very experienced pilot. The first officer, Bill, is 48. Um, He's worked for a couple airlines before this. He worked for Pan Am for a while, which is cool. Uh, He's worked for United Airlines since 1969, so for 20 years, still a long time. (laughs) And uh, he's got around 20,000 flight hours, so still very, very experienced. Yeah. And uh, it's a DC-10, and it's 1989, so the flight engineer is on board, and his name is Dudley. And we, I just love Dudley. Yeah. He's 51. He's a flight engineer. He's only been with United Airlines for a couple years. He has uh, around 2,000 flight hours. So much, 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 much less experience. Yeah. I mean, he's totally competent at his job, right? But a lot less experience. And um, actually, on the DC-10, on this aircraft, he only has 33 flight hours. So he's, he's, just, he's learning. Yeah, he's learning. He's learning. Listen, I Dudley is 51 years old. Yeah. And I think that like taking on a new thing in life is beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Good Love job. Dudley. Love Dudley. him. Love him. Dudley yeah. with a D. 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 Not Doug. Yes. Lee. Not Dougly. <laughs> okay. All D. No. All D. No G. Okay. Dudley. Dudley. Dougly. Beautiful. Beautiful. We love him. Yeah. Dougly is uh, like what your grandma calls you. Like. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, it. The weather is gorgeous. It's just a nice. I mean, it's a million degrees. I'm sure. Um. Who knows? It could be literally any temperature in Denver, right? Like yeah. it just could be any temperature at any time of year. Maybe it's 90 degrees. Maybe it's 20 degrees. Who yeah. knows? Denver has the most insane weather ever. But uh, it, in fact, is a nice day. <laughs> and uh, they load everybody up onto this super, super full flight. Again, we've got kids traveling totally by themselves, which is exciting and scary and you know everybody's trying to look out for them yeah there's uh the flight attendants and the gate agents are doing their best to like get everybody comfortable and situated not that easy because again super 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 full flight um and uh they get everybody on there shut the door push back and they take off around two o'clock central time 
So that's the time zone that they're heading toward. Um, they, even though the flight's not that long uh, from Denver to Chicago, it's only like less than three hours. It's 1989, and so they served lunch, which is very nice. Yeah. Uh, and in order to get everyone lunch, pretty much as soon as they're up in the air at cruising altitude, which for them is 37,000 feet, basically as soon as they're up there, they're already serving lunch. And again, I just think about like, like I was nine the first time I went on a plane, and they gave us, it was before 9 11, and they gave us like the little lunches, and it was like yeah. the best part. Yeah. Yeah. By far. So, so much fun. All the little, the little silverware. It's great. Mm -hmm. Um, They are up there at cruising altitude and they're flying over Iowa at this point. Um, And they have served lunch and the flight attendants are going down the aisles, you know, uh, taking, you know, people, if they're done with their meals, helping out. Again, they're trying to make all of these kiddos as comfortable as possible, doing all of, you know, those different things. Bam. Suddenly there's an explosion. Oh, no. In the rear of the aircraft. It shakes the entire plane. This is just a couple years after Lockerbie and like other bombs placed on planes. The flight attendants hit the deck. They like just hit the ground, hold on tight. The plane shudders. Obviously, people are scared. In the cockpit, the autopilot disengages because something has just happened. Uh, Bill grabs the controls. He's the first officer and he was the one, you know, who's on deck for that. He grabs the control column and Captain Al starts to uh, focus on the different light warnings and indications that they're getting. And it looks like all the lights are coming from the tail engine. The tail engine, which is on this plane is called Engine 2, had exploded. Oh, okay. So Captain Al starts to pull back on the fuel throttle for the tail engine, but the, the throttle won't move. It stuck in place, won't move. And Bill has the control column in his hand. The autopilot has disengaged and he's it. It's like it's like it weighs hundreds of pounds. It is so heavy and sluggish. And they had been in a very, very slight right hand turn when engine two exploded. The flight flight engineer Dudley, he says, turn off the valve that allows fuel into the tail engine, right? So you can't pull the throttle back, but turn off the valve that allows the fuel in at all. And Captain Al does that. And for a split second, everything it's kind of okay, right? It's kind of okay. This plane can fly with two engines. That's why there's three engines in the first place. It's for the redundancy. But Bill is like pulling on the column and Bill is like bracing his feet and like realizing more and more that he can't like physically move the control column. And they were in that slight right turn. And that right turn is just continuing and continuing and continuing. And the plane won't respond to Bill trying to level the plane out. And so the the left wing is dipping down, 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 more and more that Bill 
is pulling on it and and he says like hey uh, you know like I, I something is wrong here something is wrong I, I physically can't do it he's using all of his strength at this point he's pulled the control column fully as far back as he physically can and as far to the opposite side as he physically can like just using all of his strength and his body yanking on it but the plane is not responding and it keeps banking right Bill says, like, can I have, like, full left aileron? Nothing. It keeps banking. It keeps banking. The plane is going to flip over. Captain Al takes his control column and has this, he he goes to pull it back to see if his will work. And his is heavy, 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 like, pushing, like, through concrete and both of them get on their respective control columns and are trying, pulling as hard as they physically can with all of their strength, trying to keep the plane from flipping over and nothing is working. Nothing Ugh. is working. They they keep, they're gonna flip over and now they're in a sharp bank. So in the cabin, all of those passengers are just they had an explosion and now they can feel they're sideways they're going to flip over and Al just shoves the throttles on the right engine and pulls the left engine back so he fires up the right engine to full power and pulls the left engine back and that slowly starts to level the plane so none of their controls are working none of their controls are working Mm -hmm. but they have differential thrust so increasing the thrust on that right engine and decreasing the thrust on the left engine allows the plane to kind of level out and at least it doesn't flip right over al and bill start to go through and and work on the engine two shutdown checklist to keep it from catching on fire or just to move through dudley is studying his panel trying to do what he can they're using the differential thrust to kind of keep the plane level but the plane starts to slowly move into a fugoid state meaning that because they're not able to control to keep the plane level in flight because they're only able to use the engines and changing the thrust using different amounts of thrust on each engine is the only tool they have at this moment the plane as it gets uh goes slower it'll it'll the nose will point up just a little bit and then it'll get too slow and it'll start to come down the nose will come down and then it'll gain speed because it's going down and that'll make the nose go up and they're starting to go into this up and down up and down rocking motion and Dudley is studying his panel and he sees it there are three hydraulic lines on a DC-10, they are completely independent of one another mm-hmm. for redundancy. Hydraulics control everything on this plane, everything related to the actual control of the aircraft. All of that is controlled by hydraulics. And there are three completely independent redundant systems so that if, God forbid, something happens to one of them or even two of the hydraulic lines, there's still a third one and that would allow them to control the plane. All three hydraulic lines are showing empty. Oh, no. All three are showing empty. That means zero 
control of the plane, which is exactly what they're experiencing. And Dudley says, like, all three of the hydraulic lines are empty. All three of them are empty. They think like, okay, maybe it's like the the pumps, maybe something that can't be. It's not possible. It's not possible. Right. It's not possible. There's three independent lines. They they think maybe, okay, if the pumps, if something like broke the pumps that actually pump the hydraulic fluid, maybe they're broken and so the the things are reading that it's empty and that's why we can't control it well guys we have our best friend in the entire world baby belly propelli it's called on the dc-10 it's called the air driven generator Uh, same thing they 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 deploy baby belly propelli he drops down and nothing because it's not the pumps. It's not the pumps. The lines actually are empty and they do not have, they are at 37,000 feet going into an increasingly more extreme fugoid state going up and down and up and down and up and down with a completely full plane full of children Mm. and babies. And they don't have any control beyond the incredibly rudimentary control of of trying to like baby the throttles back and forth while they're trying to do a million other things the they have no ailerons no horizontal stabilizer no no flaps no slats no elevators no nothing they have nothing oh my the pilots God. cannot know this but when there was an explosion in engine two and when it exploded, it was an uncontrolled explosion and it cut through. It just happened to slice through all through hydraulic lines and they are empty. They are empty. They call United Maintenance on the radio because like, what do we do? We, there's no training on this. Yeah. Guys, this is two years after Dial one, two, three. And I know we haven't talked about that one and I promise we will, but that is present in the mind of these pilots because that was a similar situation and you do not want that outcome. And they've never received any training. And when they call United Maintenance and say, hey, like something has happened, we have zero hydraulics, none whatsoever in any of the hydraulic lines. And the maintenance person from their company, who frankly, they've been incredibly, incredibly faithful to, the maintenance person has to listen to them saying this and tell them like, we have no procedure. There's three redundant lines. It just, we didn't think it was possible. And we have never, ever, ever prepared for this possibility. And that's that's a hard thing to say to the voice on the phone who is in like this horrible circumstance. And it's a very hard thing to hear. Yeah. And they it was just days of all days too. like, right, like everybody who is a part of, of United is waking up knowing what day today is like it's an initiative it's a whole thing right we're gonna have a great day there's gonna be no accidents oh because so again jowl one two three was only a couple years ago so earlier today a man named denny fitch who is a training pilot for United on the DC-10 needed to go to Chicago and he was actually going to leave much earlier in the day but his flight that he was originally going to non-rev on 
was delayed. And so when he got to the airport for his delayed flight, he saw that this flight, United 232, was also going to Chicago and it was going to leave like 12 minutes sooner than the flight he had originally been booked on. And Denny goes like, oh, I'm a non-rev. I'm going to, it's, you know, is it okay, guys? You got room? And I will bet you truly from the bottom of my heart, any amount of money in the entire universe that the gate agent he spoke to and asked if they had any spots left on this flight. Okay. I bet you anything that she looked at her map and thought like, Ooh, like, you know, we've got all these lap infants and I really want to keep like the seat next to the parents open. So they have more space for their kids or whatever. And it's only a few minutes difference. Like, can you just go on the later one? I would bet you truly any amount of money that that was something that the gate agent thought about. Yeah. And, but whatever the exchange was, the gate agent said, you like, sure, you know, yes, there literally are seats on this plane. Yeah. It's very full. It's full of babies. But like, sure. Yeah. OK. And had put him on this flight. And Denny is sitting there in his seat. He is a 46 year old training pilot specifically on the DC 10. He worked for the Air National Guard before that. He's been with United since 1968. He heard the explosion just like everyone else. And he feels that fugoid state. He's feeling it happening. He's very sensitized to this stuff. He can probably tell just listening to the different sound on either side of him that they're using differential thrust. As a training pilot, Denny, when JAL 123 had happened, he had actually by himself, his own volition. He had studied it and he had run simulations on loss of hydraulic power on his aircraft that he trains for, the DC-10, in his own home. So this is something he, he takes all of this in. And in the cockpit, the pilots are called the flight attendants like to come and just tell so they could tell the flight attendants not over the intercom, obviously, tell them in person something is seriously wrong, like, please, like, get the cabin ready. And as the flight attendant is like rushing up, Denny kind of like catches her and just says like, hey, um, I... I'm a training pilot for the DC-10. I'm happy to help. If the pilots want my help, can you just let them know that I'm here and I'm happy to help them? So the flight attendant goes, yep, 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 and like goes into the cockpit where, again, nobody on this plane thinks everything is fine. Right. No, Not a yeah. single person on this plane is capable of, it's not one of those situations where the passengers might not know anything is wrong. Everyone knows something is wrong. Everyone heard the explosion. Everyone felt the plane almost slip over. And the flight attendant gets up there and explains it to the pilots. And the pilots are like, yes, 100%, get him, get him in here right now. And so when Denny comes into the cockpit, he sees the both of the pilots, this is not normal at all, both of the pilots sitting behind their controls are pulling, physically straining, like their knuckles are white, their arms are like swelling from like the exertion, they're sweating, like their whole bodies are going into pulling back on their controls and trying desperately to get some kind of anything out of their controls and he comes in and sees that and and captain al like says like "Eh, take the throttles like you do the throttles and control them and so denny like kneels down and like 
he has something that the other pilots don't have because he's literally an extra set of hands and he's able to put one hand on each of the throttles for each of the remaining engines on either side of the aircraft and like make those little micro adjustments like he practice in his simulator on his own time and he's able to not not they don't have hydraulics guys like this isn't going to be a magic fix but he's able to slow that fugoids thing that fugoid state that fugoid cycle down so instead of being as extreme and as fast and as nauseating and disorienting he's able to flatten it out just a little and he's able to keep the wings a little bit more level and so they have four brains in the cockpit now and they get it they they just like physically muscle the plane into a slightly less grotesque cycle of movement and Al asks Denny, like, hey, can you go look through the window and see if us pulling with all of our strength on these controls is doing anything? Like, look at the ailerons out the window and tell us if if anything is happening. And Denny goes back and looks out the window and nothing. The ailerons are not moving at all. It's not doing anything. And Denny's on this plane, too. And Denny goes back and he says they're not moving. And Bill and Al, who are, again, physically forcing this, they, they, they believe him, they acknowledge it, but they, I don't blame him, they just, they don't stop. Like, they keep pulling on the controls at extreme physical cost Mm. just because what if it's doing something like what if it's helping a little bit yeah right you're so incredibly powerless in this situation and maybe it's helping a little and they have denny get back on the throttles and the three of them along with the flight engineer, like keeping track of all of the data, all of the information that the, again, that today a computer would do. Like the four of them are hashing it out. They're talking about it. They're trying to figure this out. They're able to like figure out, okay, so they were in a slight right turn when they lost hydraulics, when the explosion happened. And because they were in that slight right turn, if they, they obviously they're being able to control slightly the ability of the plane to remain in level flight does not actually give you the ability to go where you want to go. It just keeps you from falling out of the sky. Mm. So by testing things, they figure out, okay, if you just like Denny, like very, very, very slightly adjust, like adjusting the throttles is able to make, you know, like, okay, we can make big, wide, slow, right turns just like lean a little bit more let let that right side that right bank happen just a little bit and you can make big huge swirling right turns they call air traffic control and declare an emergency the air traffic controller who okay they are over iowa the closest airport is sioux uh, city, not Sioux Falls, Sioux City Gateway, which is a little regional airport. 
just my ignorance about Iowa. I looked it up because I was like, I I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what I thought Sioux City was, but 80,000 people. It's not big. It's it's 80,000 people. So it's the airport for a city with 80,000 people, right? It's not a big airport. And the air traffic controller like snaps into action Snaps into action like you wouldn't believe this air traffic controller calls. uh, This is 89. Like there's not the same level of like systems in place for any of this. The air traffic controller obviously alerts the fire and like EMS support for the airport, but also calls like the hospitals, calls like anybody that the air traffic controllers can think of to call. They call. And when those different services get those calls, they make their own calls. So like the local hospitals called literally every doctor like every doctor period every nurse period like you have like a you work at the dialysis clinic come on like anybody anybody all hands on deck all hands on deck this plane is coming with dozens and dozens of children and families and kids and adults and people and the air traffic controller does puts everything gets everything rolling as fast as they can and starts to try to guide this totally crippled plane toward the runway of their little airport their little baby airport yeah the pilots call the flight attendants in again and say like we're gonna go try to land at sioux city uh like prepare the cabin for an emergency landing and the flight attendants need to like convey the instructions for an emergency landing to again dozens of children traveling alone families with kids like uh, obviously okay I don't want to overemphasize it I guess because I also I do not have children and I don't want to be in this situation but just the the Flight attendants have to like explain these procedures and they have to explain to the parents who are traveling with babies in their laps. They have to explain to them that the procedure is to lay like you have to brace yourself. Right. So you have to like brace position on a plane is to like lean forward, lay your belly on the tops of your thighs and like hold your ankles Mm -hmm. head down. If you're traveling with a baby under two in your arms, then you need to lay the baby down on their back and like hold them, like press their little body Mm. into the floor and brace yourself. And I just think about like, I mean, think like think about how hard it is to put a baby in a crib by themselves and like just like. So the flight attendants are getting the cabin ready. The procedures having to explain and they keep trying to keep everybody calm. They keep trying to say, like, we're just going to make an emergency landing. You know, we're, we're not that far from the airport. Like, you know, trying to be as reassuring as possible but the passengers know they they're they know of course they know in the cockpit some i i know it's hard to get a sense of time passing in these stories but we are like 30 minutes into this 30 minutes into the nauseating fugoid cycle like 
30 minutes into the physical, the extreme physical exertion that Al and Bill are placing on their bodies by like pulling the columns, literally trying to force the pieces of a plane outside to move. That's oh, right. what they're doing. Like they they're are trying literally to be trying Superman. to. Right, right. With working together and trying to like do it together, but but truly, truly, truly like pulling for their lives. And they're communicating with air traffic control, like Denny is down there, like just trying to make those tiny little adjustments, making those big looping right turns, trying to get lined up with the runway. And talking to air traffic control at some point in just the pretty standard professional communication the captain just spits out to the air traffic controller like whatever you do just keep us away from the city Mm. and the air traffic controller agrees and denny says like trying to like light i don't know again people just deal with stressful situations in different ways and denny says like i'll tell you what like we'll have a beer when this is all done and al is like well i don't drink but I will, yeah. yes, I yeah. will have a beer with you. Yep, yes. Like, yeah. Uh, they are getting closer. And as they, like, come around, they're trying to get lined up. So the air traffic controller, again, who is trying so hard and has, like, gathered a huge, like, army of of fire engines, of, of EMTs, ambulances, just this, like, army of them there are kind of two runways at this airport they numbered them 22 and 31 31 is the actual runway that's in use currently and it's 9,000 feet long so it's like it got given them lots of space to slow down and so runway 22 the other runway is hasn't is decommissioned like it hasn't actually been in use for a while and that's where the air traffic controller has the the rescue crews like waiting Mm -hmm. and as they like make their turn in the plane coming around trying to get lined up with runway 31 basically they get they're lined up with 22 they're lined up with 22 and this is it like they just that's the runway we got to be on and they tell the air traffic controller and the air traffic controller just says like yep you got it champ and like calls the crews and tells them like they're coming your way so like get out of the way but don't don't go anywhere because because we need you and they get lined up as best they can and they start to look at just at the numbers in this situation and they are going so for this aircraft for this dc-10 a safe landing speed is 160 miles per hour and the sink rate so meaning how far how fast they're going down is 300 feet per minute that's what you want your landing to be like they are going 250 miles an hour and they are sinking at 1850 per minute so they know and there's there's nothing they can do they don't have flaps they don't have anything so like they are they're gonna they know that they're gonna slam into this runway if they make it and the air traffic controller calls them and is like hey like i closed down the interstate for you so you can land on the interstate if you think that would be easier to line up with and like because the air traffic controller is doing everything they can and 
and they're like we're no thanks like runway's good like we got it like we're we're lined up with 22 and they have to decide now like okay so if they drop the landing gear it's going to change the flight dynamics it's going to change the way that the the plane like just maneuvers and they have very poor control right already very poor control and if they drop the gear it's going to make it it's just not predictable they just don't know how it's going to change and they already have so little control of this plane and they are talking about it and but if they don't drop the gear again they're supposed to have a sink rate of 300 feet per minute they are darn close to 2,000 feet per minute they need that like buffer they need the 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 shock absorption of the gear they just they need it and they agree gonna drop the gear but again four brains in the cockpit right twice as many as most pilots have today right so four people talking they're like wait to another thing the gear right is only down during like landing and takeoff right shortly after takeoff right so it's it's the gear is connected to the systems that are only used at very 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 slow speeds comparatively to the rest of flight right so maybe the 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 gear right is connected to the outboard ailerons meaning like the ailerons like furthest from the center of the plane Mm -hmm. those maybe when we drop the gear, maybe that will release a little bit of hydraulic fluid and maybe we'll get a little bit of control Mm. in those ailerons like at that moment that might help us. And so they are, they are hoping, right. And they, they drop the gear again, no hydraulics. So they have to use like the weird little way of dropping the gear. But, you know, thankfully somebody thought of that a long time ago and they're able to drop it without the use of hydraulics and they are waiting to see if they're going to have a little bit of control of their ailerons and they drop the gear and it clicks into place because of gravity and nothing it didn't release any hydraulic fluid so now the gear is down and it does change the dynamics of how they're flying and they're able to like manhandle it back into something kind of like level flight and they're lined up and they're not going to be able to slow down and they're not going to get it's it's happening it's happening and they call the flight attendants and call over the intercom that like we're bracing like we're we're here this is happening and And the flight attendants have to, like, get locked in and have to, like, you know, buckle up themselves. And they have to tell, like, the kids by themselves to brace. And they have to tell the parents traveling with their little babies. And again, I think about, like, whenever I picture this in my mind, I always used to picture like a baby baby like a like a three-month-old baby Mm -hmm. but I was thinking about it it's any kid under two so I mean I think about like an 18 month old an 18 month old like a a toddler and just having to like instead of holding them which is what I'm sure you'd want to do you have to like push them into the floor and look at them like look in their little face and just like press their little body into the floor and they they're coming in 
and they're as lined up as they're going to get and they're as slow as they're going to get and they've got as much control as they're going to get. And right before they touch down, the plane starts to roll and the nose starts to dip. And Denny shoves both of the throttles forward, just shoves them both forward to get more lift so that the nose will pick up. And, And Dudley, the flight engineer, says like, stop, close them off, close them off. Meaning like, turn off, don't do that, don't do that. And Elle says, turn turn left, don't, don't close off the engines. And Denny says, like, no, I, I can't, I can't pull them off or I will lose it. Like, that's what's turning us. And Dudley says, OK. And Denny says, like, like, come on, come on, come on. Like, like, just they're trying to figure out. They Al says, like, left, 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 because right wing is about to hit. And Al just they're the they're going so fast that the like whoop whoop pull up pull up thing is screaming at them and they're trying to yell over it and and Al screams like everybody stay in brace everyone stay in brace and the right wing hit the runway they had dumped fuel but they couldn't dump all of it because their only form of control is the engines and when the right wing hit the runway fuel poured out of it and immediately ignited the tail hit next and just snapped off the rest of the plane slammed down onto the landing gear and bounced and slammed down and bounced and slammed down and the landing gear snapped off the right wing ripped off the plane cartwheeled down the runway and shattered into many pieces and the rescue crews like swarmed the area just poured off out of the other runway onto their runway and started to break off into different parts trying to go to the different pieces of the plane in a few places people actually like walked out of their section of the plane and and they could see the cockpit area, the, the part of the plane that included the cockpit was crushed. And again, in these moments, like in these situations, you just have to like make a decision and go with it. And it was crushed and they just went for other parts of the plane. And again, there's there's you can hear kids screaming. You can hear babies crying. You can hear parents trying to find their children like they tried to put the fire out as fast as they could there are passengers who walked off the plane and ran back in to try to get kids or family Jeez. members one of the mothers who had pressed her baby down into the floor as soon as the impact happened her baby had shot her little daughter had shot out of her hands and she couldn't find her baby and somebody else had picked up the baby and ran out with her and she found her so there's people finding their children the one mother I don't, there's not details about this, but one mother confronted is the word that I've seen used. Mm. Jan, one of the flight attendants on the tarmac, 
because her son, who she had pressed into the floor, had died. Mm. And she confronted the flight attendant who had told her to lay her baby down on the runway. And after about 35 minutes, they made it to the part of the plane that had the cockpit crushed. And they started to break into it. And inside, all four of the pilots in the cockpit were alive. (gasps) All four of them were alive. Oh, my God. 296 people were on that plane and 112 of them died and 184 lived. Holy cow. There were 52 children on board, including four lap infants. One of the lap infants, little Evan, died. And 11 other children died. 43 survived. Mm. Sioux City. Sioux City as a city was so completely devoted to helping people as much as they could. They, like, lines around the block to donate blood. There were two doctors for every patient at some points because doctors, every kind of doctor from all over, I mean, from hours away came. There's, like, one little college there, and they... The college kids like opened up the dorm to people traveling and and like traveling in from out of town or like from doctors traveling in from out of town for people coming to visit their families for whatever. And one hundred and eighty four people lived. Honestly, I truly did not think a single person was going to be able to survive that. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. Like, it's horrible, 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 but it is so, it's unbelievable Yeah, that more than half of the people lived and... As it, I mean, I always feel like it, I don't know why with this story, I always feel like not that interested in the investigation. I don't know why, but it, Mm. um, so when the NTSB arrived, they, when the NTSB arrived, they, uh, knew because they had survivors, because they had people to talk to, because they had all four pilots, four pilots at all, right? Which that's more than they planned for the flight, right? With Denny's help. 
they knew right away that the problem had been in that engine two, in the tail engine. Yeah. And so they want to reconstruct the tail engine. They want to see, you know, put the pieces together. And when they were trying to, like, put the pieces back together, they realized that the a fan disc, just a, a fan inside the engine, was missing. They didn't have it at all. And they searched the Air National Guard um, for Iowa, came out and, like, searched everywhere searched everywhere and they just like could not find that fan disc which made them think it's probably something with the fan disc Mm -hmm. and again this was in late july and in october three months after this flight uh, when it's time to start harvesting corn, uh, a corn farmer, um, she was harvesting her field and came across the fan disc mm. and knew right away what it was. Holy cow. And, um, yeah, well, yeah, she, so she knew what it was and she called them and actually they had put out a reward of $50,000 for finding the fan desk and she got it. Yeah, good. Absolutely good. But she, she actually like donated a lot of the money, which I was kind of like, I mean, good for her. Good for yeah, her. Yeah. <laughs> but like also like if she had just kept it, I would have been totally Fine, yeah. like, yeah, like, thank you, right. ma'am. Thank you. So they got the fan disc, and it, in fact, was the fan disc. Basically, what it, there was a fatigue fracture just from being, just from use. There was a fatigue fracture on the fan disc, and while they were flying, it had broken. And when it broke, it was uncontained and it exploded. And when it exploded, right at that point, it's just one of a couple points in the DC-10 where all three of the hydraulic lines are close to one another. Mm. Because, I mean, if you, th- I mean, you think about a plane up by the tail, they're just, there's, everything's closer, right. right, to everything because it's just a narrower part of the aircraft. And it had just hit just right to slash through all three of the hydraulic lines oh my god um they united the ntsb the faa like the airline pilots association like multiple different groups um tried to like run this flight in simulations to see if like to see if they could create a protocol for this situation and they're they just they just can't. Wow. They just can't yeah. have Denny on your plane, have an extra person there right. to help. Like there's just they need to change. And I'll say this. So the that engine had actually been inspected a few months earlier. And the NTSB did think that the fatigue, the fatigue fracture was probably visible at that time. But they actually said that, like. They they didn't, I guess they felt like United's process was rigorous enough, but they just didn't account for human factors enough. Like just the fact that a person 
people miss stuff. And what it basically what they ultimately ended up doing was just changing the design of the DC 10 to put like stops valves in the hydraulic lines. So even though there's three redundant lines, if they get slashed, if any of them get slashed, having like a stop gap along the lines you know what i'm if that makes sense places along the line where it will seal off so that if you do if any of them not even just if all three of them but if any of them get like leak in them for whatever reason it will like close off so you won't lose all of the hydraulic um control Mm. because any hydraulic control would have made a major difference here right um but yeah wow that's that is a lot is the um is the protocol for crash landing for lap kids is that still to put them on the floor do you know i've tried to see and the thing is, so Jan, that flight attendant who, that flight attendant, she actually spent like the next, as far as I know, she's still crusading for this. That she feels like it's just too dangerous to yeah. have lap infants as a concept at all. Right. Like, it's just don't, like, why do we allow this? And I mean, we live in the future, so we know that that's still how it is. And I, I don't know. I don't even, I I feel like on one hand, like I get it because being able to have a lap infant, it, it, there's just people who just will not be able to afford to fly if they have to pay for a ticket for their baby. Right. And then there's also, I bet, I mean, affording, being able to afford to fly, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's at a point where, and this, I mean, this is a larger conversation too, but I think there's a lot of systems, like a lot of societal systems or like norms, you know, like flying right? that right. are constantly obviously being improved upon as much as they can. And I do think that a lot of these systems just need a complete overhaul to catch up with modern day you know like i just think there's there's a lot of systems that just need a a, exactly what um sorry what was the flight attendant's name oh jan jan Jan. yeah like what jan's saying is like that concept in and of itself you know maybe we need to reimagine the inside of a plane or and i'm sure they're doing this all the time like i don't you know obviously i don't know the ins and outs of airplane design but it just seems like i don't know there needs to be a little bit more ingenuity there in terms of I mean, like, it seems like even if, yeah, right. Like even if you made something like, uh, the, you know, those, like if you're in a skiing accident or something, God forbid, like those, those like stretchers that they put you on, yeah. that they like wrap you up onto it. Yeah. It seems like even something like that, that you could like affix to the floor. Right. That would so it's not your own hands, which I mean that all I don't know. I think about that a lot because I just think about like how while you're waiting for the impact, right? Like right. not knowing how hard to like press. Yeah. 
like your baby into the floor and again if if they're if they're 19 months old and they're like they don't they're hating it right and squirming and scared and like i can't screaming and like just the the fear and like every human instinct you have to like hold your baby tight and like but i also think about the the like when the impact happens if you like you just don't have the human ability to like get the amount of force just right but when the impact happens you're going to be tossed yourself right and just i just can't it's unimaginable it is like an unfathomable like experience that just no one should ever have to experience and if there was something yeah that you could like strap the baby in and like at least something besides your hands keeping your baby in one spot yeah i don't know but um and i think like it's such a sudden like yeah especially with flying like you just don't you never expect to crash of course and I think it's always on everybody's mind, obviously, because it's a possibility, but because it is generally so safe, it is, it's such like a shocking thing to have to do in the moment and then to have to act quickly. And then, you know, and your body is like under this incredible stress for what was it, 30 minutes before they were able to... Oh my I gosh. mean, how I long were they actually in the air? 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, 45 that's minutes. Insane. That's an insane amount of time. Oh. And then for it to end with it's, you having to put your kid on the floor, like, I just can't right? imagine. You it's know? just so horrible. And just like, oh my gosh, if you would like put your kid on like the plane to go visit their like aunt right. in Philadelphia, like by themselves, and you heard about this, just, or if, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because of like my age, but I I just think like being a child and being in that situation yeah is so scary. Right. It's so it's just it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. It's horrible and it is like the it is incredible that all four pilots survived, but it's incredible that thanks to them, anyone survived. Truly. I thought, I know that when you were halfway through this flight, I was like, if those, I was like preparing myself for all the fly, the pilots to, you know, cause that's just kind of what normally happens. Like for the flight pilots to die. In, in in the, yeah, especially with coming in so fast and, you know, Oh, where they're positioned they, and all of that. Like, it's yeah. insane that they survived. Did they continue flying? Do you know? I was, I, I am so glad that you reminded me to ask, say so because all four of them went back to work oh and my. like continued to fly. Well, all four of them. <laughs> Madness. That, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, great. I mean, in good a good job. way. I'm, I'm right. not trying like, to say, yes. yeah. Like, holy Amazing. cow. Amazing. Yeah. That's that, Imagine that being Cold War. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. July 89. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a crazy time for the world. Right. So. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, that's I couldn't. I don't know if I not after that. 
I yeah I don't I and mean even like I know that you know like generally corporations and CEOs and billionaires are on our shit list but like I I would imagine you know I don't know just like when I have a big day at work or there's something like exciting happening like you wake up and you think about it and you're like okay this is gonna be a great day you know like it's a different yeah, day than yeah. normal and f- having kids basically fly free seems like such like a, a generous and like helpful and like yeah. nice thing to do you know right or in the summer in the when summer it's like, not like it's it's not right. even hard to sell tickets in the summer right. right it seems like a genuinely nice thing yeah and then like then this happens oh, it's gosh. just it's like the literally the worst case scenario just horrible yeah. horrible oh my gosh and then again i just think about like if maybe it's just again because it's a job i've had but i think about the the like gate agent mm. for this flight when it was leaving and like when you hear when you finally like learn that denny like because oh you probably God, right. think like oh my gosh i like moved that non-rev to this flight right and he's probably gonna die because you know i didn't just tell him you know like no wait nine minutes for the other flight or whatever you know and then finding out that his presence contributed tremendously to anyone survive like i don't Seriously, know that yeah. <sighs> right just like all of the different people involved in the the immediate yeah. situation and like the ripple effects you know like obviously that's why we talk about things is because of their ripple effects but right um right yeah it's always amazing to me how many different perspectives there are and you know because even like air traffic control i mean they did everything they could to to help them oh plan to help them land yeah. safely you know and and at some point yeah. it's out of everybody's control and it's just like let's hope it yeah. goes well Right. The air traffic controller just like. I think about like I know I've talked about this before, but, you know, my my own dear mother, like her is a nurse and she Mm -hmm. just can't believe that none of her kids became nurses because (laughs) it's just obviously the best job. Right. But I think about like part of that is feeling like you. Like being able to handle an emergency situation is at least for me, I'll say like. I can handle things a lot better yeah. if I feel like I actually have something to offer, like I can help. Totally. And I think about for an air traffic controller how often they're powerless. Mm-hmm. Like there's just there just isn't anything they can do. Right. And then in this case like the air traffic controller did everything mm-hmm. that they could do. Yep. And like all of those Oh, I just think about like other stories we've done where like they they did the same thing where like the hospitals like got every like all hands on deck. Everybody like you are in bed, you're on vacation, you're whatever, like just, you know, get here as fast as you can. And like flights where people don't survive and there's just nothing. They just have to go home and how horrible that is. And like in this case, just having so much, there were people donated um, like supplies too, like medical supplies, like hospitals and like whatever uh, clinics, whatever uh, uh, donated 
so many supplies to the area hospitals in Sioux City that they um, had like six months worth of supplies even after everything. And like they didn't like blood donations. There's, you know, just like you don't know who was in like a motorcycle accident two months later and the hospital had enough blood because people showed up to donate for this. Yeah, right, right. Oh, exactly. Oof. I know that I overstepped my bounds and requested (laughs) a specific um, fact for today. Yes. Let me pull up some facts for us for today. Um, no, this was, um, I'm really, really glad that you actually brought this up, um, because it's really important. And, um, you know, I think, so the facts today are going to be about blood donation. Um, and I know that like for some people, like my older brother talking about blood, talking about needles, talking about anything like that will actually make him pass out. So if Mm -hmm. this, yeah, I mean, I don't maybe you're not listening to this podcast if that's like the thing that uh, happens to you, but just be forewarned that this next segment is all about blood. Um, Yeah. But you and I, Casey, you and I have both been pretty as much as we can and tried to be regular blood donors. Um, We just wanted to, I'm glad that you requested uh, talking about this. So we just wanted to share some, um yeah blood donation facts and some information on where you can donate blood because i think um when people think about donating blood they think about like the red cross or they think about you know like events that are being held and i think not a lot of people realize that you can be a regular blood donor like have a schedule where you're going you know a certain amount of times per year um and that in terms of where you can donate, obviously you can Google anything that's around you, but the main places that um, you can donate are just just your doctor's office, hospitals. Um, you know, there's a lot of areas in probably in your neighborhood where you wouldn't think that you could donate blood. Um, so truly, like just a simple Google search about like where can I donate blood near me will pull up yeah. generally a list of probably a hundred places you could go Um, because it is such a need, especially, I mean, I'm, I, these are facts obviously related to the United States. I'm not exactly sure, um, you know, what other places are looking like, but it is an insane need in the United States. Um, And I would imagine everywhere around the world. Um, but generally, uh, I just wanted to give some requirements for donating blood. So the, the like bare basics before you go donate, um, you know, if you've received any vaccines or anything like that, you should wait a couple of days before you go. Your local places may have specifics on, you know, the type of, of vaccine. Like if you get the COVID vaccine or something else there, there may be a specific wait period, um Mm. that you have so if you've just received vaccines you should probably wait um you have to in a lot of places you have to be at least um 16 years old uh with a parental consent and you have to be a certain weight 
this varies obviously depending on what you're donating um but generally mm-hmm. um the weight you have to be at least 110 pounds is what i was seeing but i was gonna say i think it's it, i think it's 100 that's what i've heard yeah 110 right because like there's yeah, a lot of different state. yeah there's and it depends on your yeah. state and like your height and all of that stuff but generally right no say that again right oh i was just there's also um like there's different maybe you're, I, I hope i'm not stealing this from no, you no, no, like please. there's different things you can donate so there's like yes. whole blood which is just a straight yeah yep. and then there's like i know that in order to donate what they call at least in around here like double red where they give you back all of your platelets mm-hmm. but they keep like two pints of blood or whatever it is they um you have to be 160 pounds yes. to donate that right 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 and I know, yeah and i know that because it's been my mission to <laughs> yeah nah, i'll leave it alone i've been trying to donate double red yes. for years and every time they're like no you don't weigh we, enough you don't weigh up you don't weigh enough and i'm like but you don't know that right. you're not weighing me take my blood like yeah like, prove it prove it like I don't, don't bring out a scale my mom hates that no yeah my mother the nurse yeah, yeah does not like that i that i've been trying to whatever yeah Go on, i'm interrupting yes you. yes no no you're fine um and then uh, so those are like just kind of the general you have to be feeling well make sure you're not sick um, and then obviously you want to bring some sort of photo ID, um, that mm-hmm. day. Um, and stuff like yeah. piercings and tattoos. Yes. Generally yes. there's like a waiting period yep. after. Exactly. So piercings and tattoos. Yeah. There, there's generally like some medication restrictions as well. So you'll want to, if you are on medis- mm-hmm. medications, take a look at the list. Again, all of this is available via Google. Um, Yeah. Tattoos and piercings used to be, I think that's like a misconception these days. Cause I remember when I was in high school, the, we would give blood regularly at, um, that like they would come to our school mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, it was a huge thing. Like if anybody had gotten a piercing or a tattoo recently, um, but from the guidance that I have seen, it's actually okay. As long as you wait three months, which that's, yeah. I think the general rule now, which when I was young, when we were younger, it was, you had to wait at least a year. Mm. At least that's what I was told. Mm. Um, yeah. And maybe that's a New York state thing. I'm just, I'm not really sure, but it seems that it's, uh, shortened now, which is nice. Um, I have no tattoos, so I did not pay that close. And my only piercing were my ears when I was 20. So I don't, I, I, I'm not up to date on the requirements around that. Yeah. If it is three months would make sense because they test all of the blood anyway, you know, but they don't, they don't want to take your blood if you have a waste of resources. Yeah. 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 And like you were talking about, there's a bunch of different types of blood that you can give. So you can give whole blood, like Casey was saying, which is just like the regular, you know, you go in and they, you sit for 15 minutes, they take your blood. Um, you yeah. can give platelets, um, which are like the small little disc shaped cells, um, that mm-hmm. helped with like, what's it called? Like, um, clotting, clotting. Um, yeah. so you can, um, donate those, um, plasma. You can also donate double red cells. Um, there is, uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to mention this. I guess it's, important i don't know it, it 
you can donate blood back to yourself if you're having like some sort of elective surgery done. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Which is nice. Like, you know, you can, so you're not taking other totally. people's blood. That's like a good thing to do. Um, yeah, and then you can totally. also donate your blood like directly to someone like if, you know, um, if it's a right. match, obviously, and everything works out. Um, there are a bunch of different blood types. Um, I'm sure most of you know. Um, interesting though, is that type O in the United States, 37% of the population has type O. Um, and the next highest is type A, which when, O negative is like, O negative low. is 6%. And then AB negative yeah. is 1%. Um, and what was the thing about AB negative? So AB, AB blood is AB. Okay. Wait, how do I want to say this? <laughs> so O negative, everybody can receive, right? Like anybody who has any type AB, of, any type of blood. O they negative, can, anyone can receive. Yeah, they can receive. O neg. Yeah. Is- no, sorry. So Oneg, so I'm Oneg, which means that they call me. They don't let me forget. Yes, <laughs> to yes. Donate blood. But so Oneg, I anybody can have my blood. Yes, and you can and only AB have positive. I can only have Oneg. Oneg, yeah. And AB positive, AB positive, everyone can give to AB positive, but yes, they can only donate. They can only give to yes. themselves, yes. basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They can only receive their yeah. 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 Um, and if you don't know your blood type, they tell you. That's nice. Yeah, that is and, very cool. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah, thought that was interesting. Like, I didn't realize the distinction there between platelets and whole blood. Like, I thought it was O negative across yeah. the board, but I guess it's AB and AB negative for platelets and, and plasma that everybody yeah. can receive, but O negative That's for whole blood. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It is, it's a huge, depending on your blood type, right? I mean, no matter what blood type you have, it's like an amazing thing to be able to offer Yeah. and it does literally save lives. And the thing is like, you're pretty disconnected from that because you don't see the person, you're not aware of them. But like another thing that's tough is that when people do like 9-11, Boston Marathon like bombing like these different things where people show up to donate blood on mass like which is great and beautiful excellent like that is a wonderful thing but one of the things that can happen is people will like not show up to donate like a month after right and it it can you know it doesn't last forever so if you if you can if if you can then getting on like a schedule where you donate every depending on what kind of blood you're donating every 10 weeks every six weeks whatever it is for for your um what you're able to donate yeah um and like it's just yeah yeah. i mean there are so many different reasons that people need blood too like a lot of the stuff that i was reading it's mostly for cancer treatments to be honest like people need a lot of blood for specific like cancer treatments, chemotherapy, that kind of thing. And there yeah. are over a million people diagnosed with cancer every year. So like, yeah, we got to be. Oh, right. also only 38% accidents. of the American population is eligible to give blood. 
And I don't want to not say this. So part of the reason for that is because of the, like some of that is just like age and like weight restrictions course, and stuff like yeah. that. But also like, yeah, they got to update the requirements yeah. that were set during the AIDS crisis that like preclude like men who have sex with men yeah. or women who have sex with men who have sex with men or anything like that. Like just they absolutely do have to change that. Yeah. Thank God it's been 40 years and we've like made really, really major advances <laughs> yeah. in treating AIDS right. and we test the blood for it. But and only um, 2% so of there the population are, actually does donate. Yeah. And that's really low Whoa. considering a lot of people need it. Right. And in some states, so New York state, one of the law changes that was made around the AIDS crisis was that you can't get paid to donate blood. You can get paid to donate plasma, but you right. can't be paid to donate blood in New York state. That's not true in other states. Um, you know, there are definitely places across the mm -hmm. country and probably across the world where you can um, get a little money for it too. Um, and, or like gift cards or whatever they offer. And, um, and I'll say this unlike the like ick factor, if you like needles are one of those things that just some people just electing to have electing for blood donation is just not going to be a thing right. for you. Yeah. And I don't want to like shame people no, 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 no. who feel that way. Um, but if you're on the fence, so if you like don't faint. If you see somebody, you know, if you see blood or like if needles, if the, if you don't have like a really strong physiological reaction to that, maybe just go and like with a friend and like watch them and see how you feel. Right. If you feel woozy, head home, mm -hmm. get some ice cream like it's fine. Yeah. But if you feel like maybe, you know, maybe sometimes seeing it can give you more data about whether or not you're going to be able to do it um, or. If you don't think it would bother you necessarily, but you do think that like, like the hassle factor is part of it too, right? That's yeah. why blood donation drives at like workplaces or schools or colleges. Like they're so such that's like the backbone of our blood donation system because it's kind of like a captive audience, mm -hmm. right? Like people, you know, you still decide whether or not you want to donate, but you just go somewhere and it's kind of like an event that's happening that day. And maybe even if you personally, maybe you're not a good fit or maybe you're not eligible for whatever reason, but you can maybe talk to your HR, your school, your college about organizing a blood drive um, at a location. Yeah. And that's even better yeah. than individual contribution so definitely it's like um yeah. it's like a life-saving roller coaster like it could be really scary to do but um you're not gonna die and people will live because of it it is good news yeah, yeah. i really always want to watch them like i want yeah. to watch them and i've had like multiple phlebotomists be like Please don't watch. Can you me look do away. This. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you like? You're freaking me out. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. And which I don't blame them. Like I don't. It doesn't feel comfortable to be watched at work. Right. I'm not trying to freak you out. You know what's Sorry, actually you know? funny? Like, I when I was at the doctor the other day, they drew my blood and it was so good. Yeah. Good. God bless right. her. She got it. 
yeah. you're trained for this let's go yeah i'm just gonna take a peek right just a little peek yeah yeah you teach me oh yeah um after this i know that so just before we say goodbye um i'm going to record like separately from this um a little like something about what's been going on yeah. um in my life um and so just to let you guys know i know that uh, obviously most of you click off i'm sure right after we're done recording together but and you can still do that i'm not gonna there won't be a test but just as a heads up um yeah. instead of a commercial it's gonna be a little bit more information i guess so yeah i love you so so much mariah I love you, casey thanks for telling that <sighs> that story yeah thank you so much for being so wonderful love and you patient i love you See you next week, guys. We love you. Bye. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Hey, guys. So, a few weeks ago, my beautiful, kind, fun, loving, sweet, Aunt Mary Beth died unexpectedly. She she was a teacher, a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister. And for me and my husband, she and her husband were beloved aunt and uncle and the people who helped us buy the land that we purchased at the beginning of this year. My Aunt Mary Beth was like the person who struck the... My Aunt Mary Beth struck the balance between doing good and having a good time more than anyone I've ever known. She so so fun so fun loving so sweet so compassionate i feel like the world is less without her and i feel like and i feel like all of our lives are so much more because of her. I love her. And I'm so grateful for her. And I know that some of you listening to this know and love her too. And, and I love you and I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok or email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. We are 110% still making this show. It's just 
a lot's been going on. We truly, truly can't wait to see you guys next week or the week after or the week after that. Thanks for listening. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.